0: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall Coming up, we talk to a member of a group of anonymous feminist art activists known as the Guerrilla Girls. Guerrilla Girls formed well over three decades ago to challenge the art world to combat sexism and racism, we hear from one of them who goes by the name Frida Kahlo about how activism can move the art world away from the rich who control what art is, where it's displayed, and who's buying it. You can join our conversation today, 888-720-9677, that's 888 720 wmpr or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now today we're talking about women artists because they're the focus of a year-long initiative by the New Britain Museum of American Art. Uh, in studio with me now is Min Jung Kim, the museum's director and CEO. Min, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you, Lucy. Good morning.
0: Uh, we actually had a chance to chat. Uh, I guess, well, about a year ago when the Georgia O'Keeffe uh, exhibit was right. uh, uh, at the museum. So you've been director and CEO for four years now. Tell I us have. about your
1: about your tenure. <laughs> well, I joined. Uh, Excuse me, I have a little bit of a uh, scratch in my throat this morning. I joined uh, the New Britain Museum of American Art in 2015. Um, Really excited to join um, a wonderful museum uh, that is, for many of your listeners who may or may not know, one of, if not the oldest museums of American art in the country, with really a premier collection that tells the story of American art from the 18th century to the present, with particular strengths in our collection from Hudson River School, American Impressionism, Ashcan, The Eight, We have a fantastic five-panel mural by Thomas Hart Benton that was first commissioned by the Whitney Museum of Art in 1932 that we acquired and accessioned in 1949-1950. And our holdings uh, run through contemporary art, including contemporary uh, Connecticut native uh, Sol LeWitt, who of course was born in Hartford but raised in New Britain. And so in addition to our wonderful permanent collection and exhibitions and educational programs, I was really thrilled to be a part of the New Britain Museum of American Art. And at the same time, recognizing that as an American art museum, you know, we are, of course, committed to presenting uh, the nation's diverse heritage, um, but also to explore this ever-evolving and unfolding narrative um, of American art and culture, including what it even means to be American. And recognizing that national identity is neither homogenous nor monolithic, um, but rather one that comprises a multiplicity of cultures and races and ethnicities. You know, I was very excited that through the museum, we could share a picture of American art that is one of a rich and varied diversity. So that also means including the voices of artists mm. who also happen to be African American, Latin American, Native American, Asian American, or simply put, all Americans. Mm. So the focus during my tenure in the last few years— um, at the museum has really been presenting um, also greater diversity in terms of race and ethnicity, Um, not only because it then becomes a truer representation of Americans today as we're seeing these demographic shifts occur in the country, but also because it becomes a more accurate reflection of the very communities in which we live and for whom we serve.
0: I mentioned that this year, uh, again, the New Britain Museum of American Art is gonna have
1: several exhibits focused on women artists. Why 2020? So this year we're doing something very special in light of the fact that uh, the year 2020 celebrates the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment. Um, guaranteeing women the constitutional right to vote, which is a major moment um, in the history of this country, and it's equal to take uh, equal. Vo- it's easy to take equal voting rights for granted these days, um, but in reality, um, the passage and the ratification of the Nineteenth Amendment at the time was very controversial because it was not only simply a political argument. But really, it was a a cultural and a uh, social and a moral debate uh, surrounding um, uh, gender issues and overturning centuries of tradition. So it was a major moment, and it was also a a long struggle that publicly ensued for about 72 years, beginning with the uh, Seneca Falls Convention Mm -hmm. and the Declaration of Sentiments. And so 2020 marks um, a moment to be able to remember it and Mm -hmm. celebrate it um, and all that's been accomplished. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, we see that it's also a moment to reflect, not only in terms of all that has transpired and the progress that has been made, But also, quite frankly, what more work is yet to be done, uh, especially as it pertains to issues of gender equality.
0: When we look at museums uh, in our country and we think about uh, this issue of gender uh, inequality, when we are uh, going to a museum and we see art on a wall or art displayed, how often uh, are these collections uh, really involving women artists, men?
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, as as I mentioned, you know, I think these issues of gender equality, unfortunately, we see that the underrepresentation of women really still persists throughout the 21st century and in museums in particular. Uh, The number of women artists that are represented in museum collections and given opportunities for solo exhibitions across the board, not just the New Britain Museum of American Art, it tends to be less than 25%. I mean, there are varying statistics. And this is exactly why we wanted to dedicate this year, 2020 in the celebration of women, um, and so we've committed the entirety of this year's special exhibition, um, devoted exclusively to women artists. So from January to December, we'll be presenting seven major exhibitions, mm-hmm. um, five solo exhibitions, uh, featuring artists such as Kara Walker, whose show we opened this month, mm-hmm. uh, Annie Albers um, in March, uh, Chantelle Martin in May, Uh, And in November, Jennifer Wenma and um, Helen Frankenthaler, respectively, Mm -hmm. in November, as well as two um, group thematic exhibitions, one of which will be featuring Shaker women and their gift drawings, as well as in August, a fabulous group thematic show entitled Some Days Now, Women, Art and Social Change. And this is a major year-long commitment um, that we're doing as part of the museum uh, in the year of 2020. But it's also important that this is uh, an an ongoing and a uh, long-term commitment on our part as well to be able to feature not only more women, but also more women of color. Mm. Uh, you're hearing
0: on the show today on Where We Live, Min Jung Kim, director and CEO of the New Britain Museum of American Art. As we hear about this uh, special focus the museum is taking in the year 2020, you can join our conversation, 888 WMPR. That's 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, earlier, uh, Min, you said during your tenure um, you're really uh, wanting to uh, focus on what exactly when we talk about American art, what that means. When someone goes to a museum, are they necessarily thinking about, you know, the gender of the person making the art or that the art speaks to them? And then how do you maybe respond to people who might think, you know, you know why is this important um, instead of just working to showcase uh, artists, whether they're men or women?
1: Well, I think all of it's important. Um, and that's exactly what we're trying to address at the, at the museum. And the fact of the matter is, is that as an American art museum, you know, as I mentioned, we're really committed to, um, portraying and reflecting the voices of all Americans. And that's regardless of gender, it's regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, it's regardless of sexual orientation. And the fact of the matter is, is that without having some awareness as to who these artists are and what those messages are conveying. Um, we have seen through statistical data that there, it has created an imbalance of sorts of artists being represented. So unless there is a, a, a conscious awareness and a concerted effort, um, and, and thought and process, and w- given with intentionality, um, this will continue to create a situation where we're only hearing half the story of Americans and the American narrative.
0: Uh, you mentioned earlier also that some of uh, the women artists that you will be featuring this year. Some of those names uh, may be familiar uh, to people like Annie Albers or Helen Frankenthaler. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about Kara Walker, for instance, who is going to be opening at the end of uh, this month, and why you uh, chose this, these particular artists specifically. Sure.
1: So Kara Walker um, is an amazing artist who really throughout her career Um, has always addressed issues of gender and race and identity, uh, in her work, and in particular the representations or rather the misrepresentations of African American, um, African Americans from both historical and contemporary times. And so the work that we're featuring as part of this exhibition is called Harper's Pictorial History of the Civil War, which is both the title of uh, the exhibition as well as the portfolio of 15 prints based on the anthology that was published in 1866. And Kara Walker, um, she has enlarged um, a selection of illustrations from uh, this anthology, and then she's overlaid them with her own silkscreen cutout uh, solid silhouettes um, that really bring to the fore um, very traumatic racist experiences that had been left out of the official record. And so this is an important body of work by an important uh, artist, and we are particularly excited to be launching the year 2020 with Kara Walker uh, with this exhibition and work that also happens to represent a major acquisition that uh, we have done and we are now proud to have as part of our permanent collection.
0: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel.
1: My guest today, Min Jung Kim, director
0: and CEO of the New Britain Museum of American Art. Uh, What do you think about the museum's special focus on women artists this year? You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, we're going to hear from one of the artists featured, a visual artist named Chantel Martin. And again, we hope to hear from you, too. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall According to the National Museum of Women in the Arts, eight out of ten artists in most museum collections are male and white. And worldwide, a little more than a quarter of major exhibitions are devoted to women artists. The New Britain Museum of American Art is working to change this. Later this month, it begins a year-long project showcasing seven groundbreaking exhibitions devoted exclusively to women artists. Min Jung Kim, the director and CEO of the New Britain Museum of American Art is with me in studio, and joining us now via Zoom is one of the artists uh, being featured later this year, uh, Chantel Martin, a visual artist who does live drawing installations in black marker in white galleries. Uh, Chantelle, welcome to our show.
2: Oh, good morning.
0: Uh, uh, Very nice to speak with you today. I know you're joining us from the West Coast, so we appreciate you getting up uh, extra early. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself first for our listeners who may not know about uh, your background and your work. Uh, uh, Where did you grow up and, and how did you, I guess, venture into the art world?
2: I grew up in Southeast London in a place called Thamesmead, and some people might be familiar with that if they've seen movies like Clockwork Orange or recent shows like Misfits. And it's, you know, it's one of these interesting places, it's uh, extremely white, very working class, um, and not a place where you expect to find museums or galleries or artists. And, and so I wasn't exposed to any of those things until much later in life. So it's interesting now at this point in my life, working with museums, um, and that being something that I wasn't exposed to when I was younger. But, you know, basically through a life of, Uh, doing things that people told me that I couldn't do. I got myself to art school and from there ended up in Japan where I started my career actually as a VJ, as a visual jockey, Mm. doing live drawn digital analog visuals to DJs and dancers and musicians. And this taught me so much and informed kind of the basis of my style and career in the sense that It's kind of magical when you draw live, you don't have time to be anyone else but yourself. And it's almost a crash course or a a fast forward way of extracting your inner self or your inner identity uh, because you get to repeat that and repeat that in that position where you don't have time to think or plan. You just have to draw because people are watching you. And Mm. so fast forward, I I moved from Japan to New York and and in New York, there wasn't this... um, you know, kind of digital VJ in scene. And and you could say in many ways that I de-evolved and picked up pens, but worked in the same way. And I, I've been doing pretty much that since the, the last 10 years, but have managed to do it in a way where it's regardless of the medium or regardless of the discipline. I've, I've worked in many different industries, but have had this foundation of a line or a drawn line.
0: Uh, It's interesting to hear uh, your trajectory, Chantelle, but I wanted to unpack a little bit and I wanted to go back to your upbringing in London. Uh, You are a woman of color. uh, As you were growing up uh, and you talked about uh, the importance of of being an individual, how was that brought out in you um, from your background? And then why Japan of all places?
2: Yeah. So it's actually, you know, it was brought out in me from the moment I would leave my door every day. So as I mentioned, you know, I grew up in a very kind of working white white area, working class white area. And I, you know, as a child was brown and and with an Afro. And so, you know, it's interesting at home when you're in your home and everyone sees you as their sibling or as their daughter or, or as a member of their family. And then as soon as you walk out, people see you as black or they see you as brown, or they see you as other. And and what that taught me from a very young age is that people will put their emotional baggage or assumptions on you, especially when it comes to race. And in England, especially also when it comes to race and class. And so from a very young age, I had to be an individual and I had to be self-efficient and I had to be confident because as soon as I would walk out of my house in any kind of um, setting, people, saw me as an other and they saw me as being different and you know on one hand looking back that was great that was a passport and you know that allowed me to be different because if you don't fit in you don't also have that pressure to fit in like everyone else Mm. and I feel like that passport allowed me to go to Japan a place that I think very few people where I'm from would even know about or aspire to go to but there's something that drew me into Japan you know I think first I got obsessed with Japanese art and movies and and things like that but I, I got to visit Japan for the first time in 1999 and it was the first place I went to where everyone was the same race and it was the first place where when people asked me where I was from and when I answered I was from London at that time people said oh okay that's cool and they, there wasn't that second question of, no, what are you? Mm. What really are you? And so actually I went to somewhere like Japan to almost be liberated in just being an individual and being self and, and not having to deal with this other layer of people's baggage of race.
0: Uh, You're hearing Chantel Martin, one of the artists that's going to be featured at the New Britain Museum of American Art uh, this year as it focuses on women artists, this 2020, 20 plus women, uh, several exhibitions throughout the year. Uh, Chantel, uh, growing up, you were expressing yourself through art Uh, when you decided you wanted to make this a career. uh, What did your art teachers tell you? Did they encourage you?
2: you know i actually my my art teachers told me some tell you know don't do art don't don't pursue art because you know you probably won't be good at it or you won't get anywhere with it and you know, I think some people might gasps when they hear that, but actually when I look back, based on the circumstances of, of where I was from and what people do where I'm from, you can also see that that teacher, on one hand, could have been quite responsible in saying, hey, tell you know, don't do this thing that no one will ever support you to ever do and that no one ever from this kind of background or area has ever really done successfully. So on one hand, you can see... Um, now that that was quite responsible. But on the other hand, you can see the limitations of some of these places where, you know, we we talk a lot about people taking art out of schools, but then we don't talk about people not actually supporting artists to have that as a successful career. So what you end up having is you can only really be successful in a lot of scenarios or cases when you've come from a place of a lot of support and, you know, a, a lot of um a, a very carefully crafted path. And and then for the other bunch of us, in a way it's just it's never ending struggle. And and, and a lot of artists ask me, you know, Chantel, you know, how you know how, how do you become an artist or you know what do I need to do and I first say you know don't be an artist because it's an <laughs> absurd career where no one really supports you and you're always struggling and that struggle never goes away it just changes but at the same time there's something beautiful about being an artist because it is a way how we get to self-reflect and connect with people and have these shared experiences.
0: Uh, Chantelle, you mentioned earlier when you were in uh, Japan, you were doing live drawings uh, using a, a camcorder um, in these clubs. Um, at this time, you were uh, called a visual jockey, but can you describe to us um, how your art has evolved today? I tried to, uh, to do that uh, when I intro you about doing these live drawings in black marker and white galleries, but describe how you create.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of an interesting way you described it. But, you know, sometimes it's white and black, black and white. And sometimes there is also colour. So imagine the way that I'm creating, it's about a line. And it's about having this fluid line. And that line could be digital. It could be analogue. It could be made out of any medium that you think about. But the idea about this line is that it's confidently me. And that line, um, you know, anyone can draw a line, but the line is realistically... Um, A sense of kind of my journey in that way. And so to describe it, a lot of the work is created live. And that's not because I'm a performer in one hand, I feel there's a benefit of creating work live because on one hand, people get exposed to the process of art and art making. And I think there's something really magical about that. You don't lose any magic as an artist by sharing your process, but I feel that you get to share that magic with people. And then on the other hand, it, it keeps you honest because you're you're creating life. And as I mentioned earlier, you don't have time to be anyone else. And I've managed to take this form of a line that is recognizably me into different mediums. So you'll see my work on sneakers or on walls in museums or on aeroplanes or, you know, on drawn works on paper or on circuit boards or in technology. And so it's, it's managed to have um, kind of really uh, a nice life in a cross section of mediums.
0: Mm. Uh, with us also, uh, besides talking with Chantel Martin via Zoom, is Min Jung Kim, director and CEO of the New Britain Museum of American Art. Uh, we heard uh, Chantel uh, describe, you know, how she creates. You know, why did you feel it was important to have an artist like Chantelle as part of this year-long uh, series, Min?
1: Well, Chantel is, is perhaps one of the most versatile artists um, working today. And as she uh, was describing her exploration of the potential of the drawn line, you know, the fact that she's using a somewhat ubiquitous ink marker, and yet she, with that, creates these incredible um, a variety of works, from these small sketches to monumental murals uh, to these live drawings that are performed in mus- music venues, um, but also these incredibly um, uh, innovative commercial collaborations that she's been doing with these well-known fashion labels like Puma and uh, Max Mara and Tiffany. Um, She also brings a a rather unique perspective, I believe, as a biracial LGBTQ artist um, who has lived all over the world, including Tokyo, as she's described. But I think perhaps also most significantly, what's wonderful about Chantel's process is that she reminds us about the creativity that um, we all possess from a young age and, you know, as she uses that marker, you know, we could also remember times when we were children and we would draw with markers all of these things and, and use our imagination and somehow along the way as we grow up we lose a little bit of that. So she proves that ultimately art is and can be for everyone, which I think is a really empowering message. Mm.
0: Ironically, we're doing a show tomorrow about uh, children's creativity and that moment that happens where our creativity is squashed. Uh, Chantelle, I'm hoping that you can uh, build on, on what Min was telling us about how uh, you see people responding to your art. And when you tell them that they have the power to create, you know, what is their reaction?
2: Yeah, but, you know, I, I appreciate those comments and. It's, it's interesting. The question I love to ask, especially a lot of adults, is can you draw? And actually most adults are not in a creative industry and actually quite a few adults in a creative industry will tell me that they can't draw. And, you know, I like to point out that it's something that we used to do as children. So, of course, you can draw as an adult because you did as a two or a three or a five or a six year old. And so it's, you know, it's something that we learn that we can't do. And it's a limitation that we learn. And and I feel like that is the basis of, you know, us in a way losing some of this creativity as adults. And, And there's such a benefit in all of us having this gift or this technique of drawing or mark making that is from our head to our hand. And, you know, we should all do that because there is a benefit from that. And that's why we do it as children and, it shouldn't be everyone's career, but it also shouldn't only be reserved for artists. And and so I, I really, you know, um, applaud and support people in drawing and mark making mm-hmm. just for themselves. And, you know, with regards to museums, I you know, there is this sense of accessibility. Sometimes museums can still even for me as, as an adult and as an artist feel incredibly intimidating sometimes to walk into you know, you walk into and someone asks you if you're a member and you're like, wait, should I be a member? I don't know how this works. And 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 I, I think, you know, we, we really have to work on bringing everyone to the museum because there is such a benefit in people being in that space and enjoying the works. And, and as you know, you were talking earlier, you know, seeing the voice of the culture and of the history as it is now, And so, you know, the more that we can show, especially young people and young children that, you know, actually you can get in for free to the museum and you are already naturally a a member and, you know, also supporting other people to come in that, Don't feel like the space is for them. You know, there is such a a huge benefit there because those are also the voice of the people today as as we are. Mm.
0: Uh, Min, as a director of the New Britain Museum of American Art, you know, how is your museum encouraging people in your community of New Britain and other places to feel like they are welcome?
1: Right. Um, well, so as Chantel mentioned, um, you know, free admission, we do offer that much thanks to a grant made available by the American Savings Foundation, where every Saturday morning, uh, museum admission is free, uh, because we want to also make sure that we um, eliminate any kind of financial barriers uh, for anyone coming into the museum. But I think ultimately, it's really about the kinds of uh, programs, exhibitions and content that we show um, at the museum. And as part of an American Art Museum, uh, indeed, to show uh, artists of all genders, of all colors, um, really touching upon topical and timely themes that are relevant to people today. And at the end of the day, indeed, if we want to be able to engage a wide and diverse audience, I think we only do so by showing reflections of themselves uh, or topics that are relevant to them Literally hanging on the walls of our gallery, not just addressed as some symbolic program, but something that is really integrated uh, throughout the museum and as part of our mission and our vision as well.
0: Uh, Chantelle, I mentioned at the earlier part of the show that eight out of ten artists uh, in most museum collections are male and white. Uh, you know, how do you respond uh, to that statistic? To, uh, as someone who uh, is an artist and is creating around the world, uh, this is a, a focus of the New Britain Museum of American Art for for one year. But what else needs to happen uh, to expand this idea of gender equality uh, across the art world? You
2: know just as Mim was saying you know if, if you don't see people like yourself in these situations and you can't imagine yourself in them and you know it's yeah there's there's obviously a lot of men in the collections and, and white men and then there's a lot of women and you know white women and then probably the same women as well and so you know I, I feel like it is important to see people like myself who are you know from these different communities that face all of these barriers and hurdles that do not see ourselves reflected back in these spaces, and therefore we feel like that we do not belong. And you know, as Min was saying earlier, it took a hundred years um, for for you know the the, the vote for for women and, and and especially black women, and you know that's almost as much as a kind of a a dedication now that we should be giving to this you know it's like you know we can give a year but then let's give a hundred year commitment because it took us a hundred years to get here as it is so let's give another hundred years to hopefully it doesn't take that long but you know um, it's nice to hear that these commitments are long and that they are lasting and it's also important not to just show People like myself, but also to put us in the collections because otherwise, in 10 years or 20 years' time, you know, it's great that people like myself had solo shows. But if museums as a whole are not actually also adding us to the voice and the legacy of the collection, then when people look back, they don't see us reflected then either. Mm.
0: Uh, Min, can you talk about that um, as a director of a museum, about the importance of acquiring the work, uh, not just having these uh, uh, these exhibitions and then it moves on somewhere else?
1: Absolutely. And as much as our emphasis this year is really about uh, dedicated and dedicated to um, featuring women artists throughout our special exhibition Similarly, we have a particular focus on uh, continuing to um, acquire and accession uh, works by women artists into our permanent collection as well. Uh, As I mentioned, the first of the series that is launching our 2020 year initiative, uh, the work by Kara Walker, is both an exhibition as well as a major acquisition that has recently entered the New Britain Museum collection. And as is our general common practice, we often do, um, acquire and accession works, uh, inspired and generated from exhibitions. So, uh, I hope uh, to um, be able to show that a number of of works and women artists that we are featuring this year will indeed uh, become a part of our permanent collection. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, there, there are uh, uh, multiple things that we need to do as a museum in terms of, yes, creating um, greater platforms for exposure through special exhibitions, um, and including many of these artists and works as part of our permanent collection, but also uh, using this as an ongoing long-term effort, not only just within the museum uh, world, but really opening and widening, widening this conversation as a whole. And so this year's initiative and year-long commitment is, um, organized by the museum also would not have been possible um, without the help of our pre- presenting sponsors, Stanley Black and Decker. And while, of course, I'm hugely grateful for their generous financial support, I think the partnership is also especially meaningful because this is also a corporation that has similar values and, and beliefs aligned mm-hmm. with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Um, that also ultimately drives innovation and growth as well. And so they've been focused on gender parity and equality and elevating uh, women in leadership. And so in addition to exhibitions and collections um, as part of this 2020 initiative, I'm delighted to also be partnering um, with Stanley Black & Decker to also create a whole series of programs that touch upon issues of women mentorship, networking, developing opportunities, and quite frankly, creating a platform Uh, for conversation for a lot of these issues. So there is the the concerted effort on the museum's part, and no doubt these gender disparities really are deep-rooted at the institutional level. And so as a museum, we acknowledge that we play a significant role and part in that. And there are some potentially temporary solutions as we are uh, launching this year-long initiative of special exhibitions, but the longer-term lasting effects uh, are really uh, influenced by... Uh, how we continue to develop our, our collection, how we continue to uh, create these issues and bring greater awareness through programs and conversations not simply only within the museum mm-hmm. but beyond um, in a much wider and expanded circle
0: you know as a leader of a, a cultural institution you know we hear so often that support um, has been dis- diminishing for arts across the board and when we think about uh, the traditional group of people who are supporting institutions like yours uh, they may you know maybe there's some tension in terms of well what is this what we want to be doing is this maybe they have an idea of what traditional art is, and, and how do you push back on that kind of tension because you feel it's important to expose uh, the community uh, to different perspectives like like Chantel's? Right.
1: Well, I think all art, traditional art, was at one point in time contemporary for its time. And all art was addressing issues that were pertinent for its time as well. and. As we're talking about issues of gender, as we're talking about issues of equality, this is one of the most topical and timely issues of our time, as it was, quite frankly, throughout history as well. I mean, one of the exhibition, one of the other exhibitions that we'll be showing as part of this twenty twenty year long initiative, uh, is a women, uh, an exhibition called "Anything But Simple: Shaker Gift Drawing and the Women Who Made Them." And this is an exhibition that features rare shaker gift or spirit drawings, if you will, that were all created by women uh, between the years of 1843 and 1857. And they're remarkable in that these young shaker women considered themselves to be spiritual instruments receiving visions, which they both transcribed and drew into these incredibly beautiful uh, gift drawings. But The reason why um, this exhibition was also important to include, and the Shaker women in particular, is for those who aren't quite as familiar with the Shakers, you know, they were a religious group that was founded around 1747, uh, who immigrated from England to the United States around the 1780s, and while they may be more known for crafts. Their craftsmanship and architecture and uh, technological innovations and furniture, perhaps, Um, they were also a very progressive community um, and they were practicing communal living and pacifism and perhaps most appropriate to this conversation, gender equality. So as much as we talk about gender equality, perhaps as more of a 20th or 21st century phenomenon as a contemporary issue, clearly this is something that existed throughout the centuries and was something that was. Important, uh, which is why I think the Shaker exhibition is one of many other exhibitions that we will continue to explore this issue.
0: Well, I want to thank uh, Chantelle Martin for joining us again. Uh, she'll be part of a solo exhibition later this uh, year at the New Britain Museum of American Art. You'll be coming uh, to Connecticut for that, uh, Chantelle. We appreciate uh, you giving us some of your time today to talk about uh, your work. Thanks so much.
2: Cool, thank you. And I, I just want to say, yeah, you know, take the time, everyone, go to a museum you know, do that instead because there is a benefit for seeing art for you. So, you know, everyone, please go out and support your local museums and go and see some great art.
0: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Napathanchel. Also with me in studio, Min Jung Kim, director and CEO of the New Britain Museum of American Art. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to talk to a member of the Guerrilla Girls, an anonymous group of art activists pushing for gender and racial equality in the art world. And We want to hear from you, too. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nall Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about how all of us can foster children's imaginations. Uh, But today we've been focusing on an initiative at the New Britain Museum of American Art. Uh, 2020 is the centennial of the 19th Amendment when women were granted the right to vote. The museum's highlighting this milestone by devoting a year to presenting exhibitions by women artists. It will also include work by the Guerrilla Girls, a group of anonymous feminist art activists who formed well over three decades ago. To challenge the art world to combat sexism and racism, uh, one of the founding members of the Guerrilla Girls is joining us now by phone. Who uses the alias Frida Kahlo? Uh, Freedom, wel- welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here, Lucy. So, Thanks. so first, you know, tell us why the uh, the the group uh, prefers to remain anonymous and that you use uh, these pseudonyms.
3: Well, um, we were, we we started in 1985 when the art world was a much smaller place. And, um, we actually were, um, a little hesitant to, uh, complain about the world that we wanted to succeed in in our personal lives. So it, early on, it was really very protective, but we soon came to realize that anonymous free speech, um, is part of, you know, American history. And it also depersonalizes the issue so that, um, when we complain about, um, you know, bias in museums, it's not about our personal situation.
0: Uh, when I mentioned that Real Girls formed uh, I believe in the in the, in the 1980s, so tell us what was going on then that, that you and others felt the need uh, to uh, protest this, uh, this uh, inequality that you saw in the art world.
3: Well, the Museum of Modern Art um, opened after you know, one of its, uh, you know, renovations mm-hmm. uh, with an exhibition in 1984 called An International Survey Of painting and sculpture. And when we did the count, there were uh, fewer than, there were about 200 artists in the show, and there were fewer than 17 women, and even fewer artists of color. And the fact that it was called an international survey of painting and sculpture sort of struck us as being a a little weird uh, that it was predominantly white men. How international is that? Mm. Um, So we went to a, a, a protest that really didn't do very much it was a standard protest with a picket line and placards and all we did at the end of the day was make a lot of people going into the museum you know angry uh they really never thought about um you know the museum uh as being a place where there could possibly be bias they really thought that the art world was a meritocracy so a number of us took the vow that day that we were going to figure out a way to get that point across. And uh, we came up with our first posters. They were always sort of uh, a little bit shocking. Uh, They kind of used the language of advertising to get people's attention. And they always um, involved information that was irrefutable. So, um when we said uh, do women have to be naked to get into the Metropolitan Museum, we had to back that up with the information that um you know fewer than 5% of the artists in the museum were women but 95% of the nudes mm-hmm. were female.
0: And our listeners can see uh, the image that you're talking about, one of them, on our website, wmprorg slash where we live. Uh, so, Frida, we're now at 2020. Uh, when you look uh, back at the last several decades, you know, what are some of the systemic factors that still perpetuate this lack of representation in museums and in collections today?
3: Well, certainly in what we call the knowledge industry and in, um, colleges and universities um Everyone realizes that there has, has been bias, and no one would, would possibly think that the history of art could be written without the work of women and artists of color, because we are in the culture. However, if you examine the art market, the place where art gets exchanged... Um, you realize that women and artists of color um, are, you know, financially disadvantaged. They are not given the resources of production the way white men are. Um, Our last count, uh, when we looked at the highest price paid for um, an artwork by a living male artist, Compared to a living female artist, the woman's price was 17% of the male's price. Now, um, you know, when you're in the economics of it and you're really a professional, you know, that is a disadvantage to not, you know, to not have those resources to work with. Because it's far worse than the position of women and people of color in the general marketplace.
0: Mm. I wanted to bring in uh, Min, Min Jung Kim back into the conversation. Director and CEO of the New Britain Museum of American Art, you know uh, Min, we were talking again about this focus that your museum is taking this year. Uh, these several exhibitions exclusively for women artists. You know, I can't help but think that museums do play a role in the fact that you are exhibiting these works that you can help play uh, a part in increasing the value of 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 these works uh, for these women artists. Uh, when we're talking about art dealers looking at, you know. Who's, uh, who's they should be paying attention to.
1: Right. Well, there are obviously many facets to the art world, um, and there's no doubt that museums can play a role and have an impact on the visibility and the success of an artist's career. Um, and we see the statistical data um, that these gender disparities are really deep-rooted at institutional and museum levels. So, It's really hard as a museum not to acknowledge that we are indeed also playing a contributing role Mm -hmm. to the imbalances of these systems. So once you're aware of these data, then I think you either have one of two choices. You either ignore and dismiss them and then become complicit with this uh, systemic um, model of operation, or you renew a sense of critical agency. And then you start to take deliberate steps uh, to ultimately create systemic change. And and that's exactly why we felt that it was incumbent upon us uh, museums, such as the New Britain Museum of American Art, to try and create real cultural change um, by making women's presence um, felt more a part of the normal rather than the exceptional practice uh, in museums like ours and to make a really conscious effort um, to reflect the demographic of the general public. I mean, half the population of the United States is women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet, uh, a very, very low percentage of women artists are represented in museums. And
0: what about uh, the number of women who are leading these cultural institutions, men?
1: Well, that, that has also been evolving. I think the number of women leading these cultural institutions have indeed been growing um that being said, uh, women uh, directors at the top museums over a particular budget of mm. 20 million dollars uh, still it, it are is a very very small number of women um, that are there. so there is still quite a lot of work to be done and a big part of it is about Uh, raising awareness.
0: Mm. Uh, Frida Kahlo, again, uh, this is a pseudonym uh, used by one of the founding members of the Guerrilla Girls. Uh, Did you want to add to what Min uh, was saying about uh, representation and, again, this focus for one year, but what needs to happen uh, past
3: 2020? Well, I think in terms of looking at museums and and the institutional um, structure of museums, I think it's important to look at who funds the museums and who runs the museums, i.e. the board of directors um versus who the tastemakers are uh, if we allow um wealthy art collectors to be the tastemakers um it's really hard to expect that their choices will be you know will be uh diverse um i i think the grill girls have always been for some new economic model for museums and for for the um you know for the art world and the idea of letting a small group of wealthy art collectors and the dealers who are their agents um, determine what our visual culture is is not exactly democratic. It really goes back to the days of kings and queens and emperors deciding, you know, uh, you know what art is. So we really like to think of ourselves as a model there because, you know, you can anyone can have a poster, uh, you know, of the Grillo Girls for thirty dollars. Um, so we we really want to look hard and fast at the way museums are funded um, when they don't get federal or public funding, then they are at the mercy of whoever's interest it is to give money to the art world. And um, we also think that there should be ethical standards. I think it's questionable that um, an art collector can be a museum um, trustee, because that's a conflict of interest.
0: Mm. What do you think
1: about that, Min? Um, Well, you know, it's it's a complicated and complex issue. um, But... By and large, I think the New Britain Museum of American Art. Um, we've been very fortunate to have a very committed um, group of individuals and supporters and board of trustees who not only are committed to the museum, but also uh, committed to uh, New Britain and the community at large. So a lot of these issues, as we are uh, reflecting them in the context of American art, also parallels a lot of the issues uh, related to our own communities. And that's been very much of our our guiding light in terms of the kinds of programs, the kinds of exhibitions, and the kinds of works that we eventually accession and and have as part of our permanent collection.
0: I should mention again, before we run out of time, uh, that uh, work by the Guerrilla Girls will also be featured again uh, in this um, year-long series at the New Britain Museum of American Art. Uh, Again, I want to thank Frida Kahlo, one of the founding members of the Guerrilla Girls, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Frida.
3: Sure. Thanks. Great to be here.
0: (laughs) And Min Jung Kim, again, uh, we'll have information on our website for our listeners to learn more about this year-long series. But a really interesting discussion. I look forward to continuing it uh, throughout the year.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Uh, Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kayon Wolf. And just a a programming note, uh, oftentimes our show is live at 9 a.m., but we also rebroadcast our show in the evening. Uh, That rebroadcast is going to be moving to 8 p.m. starting Monday, January 13th. But the best way to catch our show if you can't listen live is to download Where We Live on your favorite podcast app. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening.